0: This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, the world's largest association of professionals in parking, transportation, and mobility. Learn more at parking-mobility.org. Hello and welcome to The Parking Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the $100 billion parking industry and the people that make it go. I'm your host, Isaiah Mao, and this is The Parking Podcast. Views and opinions are my own. Welcome back to another episode of The Parking Podcast. Joining us on the podcast today is my dear friend and mentor, Steve Resnick,
1: Chief Revenue Officer at Tez. How are you doing today, Steve? Doing fantastic, Isaiah. Thanks for having me on this fantastic podcast. It's great to catch up with you. Everybody in my family is healthy. My, my friends are healthy and my colleagues and industry peers are, are healthy to my knowledge. So I'm, I'm basically batting a thousand. I love it. That's all we could ask for. Uh, To to our faithful listeners
0: of the podcast, I think many of you have uh, Steve Resnick to thank for this. Steve was my supervisor. I I got his blessing, talked to him about the idea. He was very supportive. And then a couple months later, the parking podcast was born. So thanks for your support and helping me get this going, Steve. Not a problem. Yeah. So I I know this may take you some time here, but there's a, a lot of great lessons here. I want you to talk about how you got into parking. Maybe take it back to the beginning and talk about the rock and roll scene and then how one thing led to another where you eventually, uh, as Donald Shute says, you backed into parking.
1: That's right. uh, Basically, uh, I failed my way into parking, which is interesting. It is a long story. It starts all the way back in high school, if you can believe that. I know some people find it hard to believe that parking uh, was actually a plan B for me. I think a lot of us in the industry have actually had that experience. Bottom line was, I, I got to a point in my life where I had to earn a living, and it just so happened. I, I had washed cars really throughout high school. I you know detailed cars, and I'd do that on weekends and after school. And I, I met some guys in Los Angeles that that owned a local parking company. I started doing their cars on weekends, and then I ended up you know kind of doing stuff in their garages. I went went off to college. I went to music school, and and uh, at the same time, I was still washing cars. It was a pretty good living, actually. And finally, after music school, I I ended up getting a record deal with Arista Records. My band was signed by Clive Davis, if you can believe that. And wow, yeah, just had an awesome, awesome set of experiences in my early twenties. But essentially, my my plan A. The the thing I had everything invested in, which was music. I'm a bass player. I still play to this day. Very passionate about music. I was finished at 25. <laughs> I was I was washed up at 25. Isaiah, it was interesting, but a lot of great life lessons, a lot of amazing experiences, recorded in some of the best studios in the world. You know, met some amazing people, and you know, kind of learned at at a young age that my goodness you know this is not what i thought it was going to be and the good news for me after kind of being very humbly humiliated in the whole thing and and it, it didn't work out i i finally realized that the world didn't owe me a single thing and that was a wonderful wonderful discovery for me at that age yeah i think i
0: never heard you tell the story before at the i believe it was the ipmi leadership summit it was a a session on failure and and I know you're such a great failure and you fell out. Of <laughs> <a lot. laughs> no, I'm kidding. And I, you use this expression that always stuck with me. You know, you got out of, out of that situation and, and you, you kind of made a commitment not wanting to trade time for money. I've, hear, I've heard you use that expression before, trading time for money. What, what it, Can you explain to our listeners what do you mean by that?
1: Well, yeah. And I mean, to, to tail off the question you had asked me, how did I end up in the parking industry? Well, I, I needed a job. Um, I went back to school at 26. And these guys whose cars I used to wash, I mean, I'd remained friends with them throughout all that time period with my music days and everything else. And they had offered me a job. I started another business. They kept saying, hey, come to work for us. And I said, God, what am I going to do in the parking business? That does not sound like something I'd be passionate about. And I, I ended up taking a job running all of these of parking operations in the city of Santa Monica, working for that company, including the Santa Monica Pier, I was actually in a situation where I was trading time for money. I didn't really understand what that meant at the time. I just knew that I needed the money and I had some other goals and I needed the job. And so I probably spent some early years trading time for money. And I think in the end, what I learned was, boy, that. What a missed opportunity that was for me, because even though I gave it everything I had, I still was focused only on the results and not necessarily the day-to-day enjoyment of the people, the learning opportunities, and the rest of it. And while I did learn and it was beneficial, I think it's exceptionally futile to trade your time for money. People end up Many years later, look, you can really tell the people that have traded their time for money versus somebody that's been passionate about their industry, passionate about learning, building friendships, building business relationships, putting the most into every single day. And the rest kind of takes care of itself.
0: Yeah. And then the next step, I believe, was standard parking. So you went through the standard central uh, merger. So just talk about that and how you got into the municipal space.
1: Well, so that company I I went to work for in 1994 ended up taking over all of the APCOA locations in the state of California. I think that was in maybe 98. And then ultimately there was a merger at that time with, with standard parking that became APCOA standard. And then eventually it was really just standard parking. And then there was ultimately that merger with Central Parking, and I had, of course, had some municipal experience. My first job in parking was working in a municipal environment, and I I was a senior manager of operations. I did a lot of things, and I was also selling for the company, and at some point after being a hybrid, you know, running operations, selling services for my company, I was asked to go into the municipal division on a full-time basis, so that was interesting. Really, really had a fantastic run. And, and Romy was a great mentor and working with Brian and just built a fantastic team over there. Really phenomenal team. Casey Jones was involved, Steve Hernandez, and a host of other people that actually are still there today. Um, and I left, I had an opportunity to go to Citizens. Uh, and that was in uh, early 2016. We had some great municipal operations, but really didn't have an established division. And so I was asked to join that firm. Actually, Jerry Scalette uh, brought me there and Bijan Edari and just had a fantastic run of it. You know, it, it, it took some time to, to to win deals. And I think about maybe what a year, year and a half into my tenure, I stumbled ap- uh, across you and I was I was looking to bring somebody into the division. And really, I wasn't looking to, to hire somebody that would be necessarily a duplicate of me. I was looking for somebody that would be able to teach me new things about the business, kind of teach this old dog some new tricks. And that was a great decision on my part because you came in, just added a whole world of experience and and a, a subject matter expertise in citation management and other things that we were doing at the time. But we didn't have anybody that could really fill that space at that time, the way you came in and did that. And so I think we had a phenomenal partnership. Lo and behold, there was the merger with, with Park and Citizens, and that was, you know, fantastic. And um, I became an executive vice president of the municipal division. That was great. Had a good run. Met Jack Skelton, some other people over there from the Park side. Got to work with different EVPs, SVPs, what have you. And um I don't know, you know we that firm was a big adopter of of the Tes platforms. I had a chance to bring Tez into a municipal set of operations in Northern California. The first was a county owned hospital. And I have to tell you, you know, through the whole RFP process, the thing that really impressed the panel the most when when it came to do our presentation was was the Tes demonstration. Um, they loved the customer survey tool. They liked the, the the seamless, ticketless customer experience. They liked the digital audit trail. There were a lot of things about the platform that, you know, really made for a dynamic and I would say interactive presentation. And we won that deal. And then we ended up uh, running all of the, the county government center uh, operations using the test platforms as well for the county of Santa Clara. And eventually I met. Ken Lovegreen, who was the inventor and founder of the company, and this opportunity opened up, and, and I ended up as chief revenue officer. It's kind of a crazy story.
0: Yeah, Ken, Ken Lovegreen, I've had the opportunity to meet him. What a brilliant guy, and maybe you could tell a little bit about his story, and the what was it that he invented, the, uh, the coaster pager, and such a, was he the idea guy, so what's it like working for hmm. such an imaginative guy like that?
1: Yeah. Ken, you know, Ken's amazing. And, and anybody that, that has met Ken knows he's, he's not only a kind of a brilliant guy, and, and he is the idea guy. That's actually his title at the company. He invented and patented the restaurant pager. So if you go into a, a restaurant, if you go into a hotel, if you're, you know, somebody hands you that sort of box pager- Like at Panera, they have one, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that was, that was Ken. That was his company. It's called LRS. And, uh, you know, the thing I've, I've found about Ken and, and working with him and for some time before I, I got to Tez, what really impressed me the most when I went out to, to visit him and, and meet some other folks there was that he had people working for him for 20 years in different companies in different capacities. And so, you know, what I found was not only is he a an amazing innovator and, and, and very nimble when it comes to technology and integration and inventing things and really making things happen quickly. So in terms of taking an idea and then putting it into an actual format that works in, in kind of record time, he's just a nice guy. And so that was to me the sign of a, a great leader and, and, a, and a great person. And I, I've just had a lot of fun while I've been here. Yeah. I mean, for a guy that very successful
0: with previous companies, but to still shake your hand, look you in the eye and ask you questions about you and your career. I, I, I was like really impressed with, with Ken and I know you're in good hands there, but now you're a chief revenue officer for Tez. So break that down for us. What's uh, what's the chief revenue officer do for a company like Tez?
1: Funny enough, I got to Tez and, and we all kind of have funny titles, you know, Ken has Ken is the idea guy, and you've got, you know, somebody that's called the math magician and Rezettez. Reset Tez, That's right. And so I, uh, I am basically responsible for, I, I guess you could say, integration and alignment of all revenue-related activities at the company. So that would include, you know, sales and marketing, uh, revenue management, customer relations. We we launched something called the Tez Client Success Team industry partnerships. Um, We've also got a a kind of a revolutionary enterprise pricing model that enables a parking operator's ability to yield substantially more profit and results from their operations than they might see in a traditional management contract. They get involved on the transactional side of the business and really for the benefit of, of their clients and parking customers. So, that's kind of what I do, and I support a, a great team of subject matter experts digital subject matter experts across the country amazing support team I work with everybody in in my kind of unique capacity and I'm a cheerleader and i'm a, <laughs> I'm an optimist as you know and just having fun you know building industry partnerships and, and hopefully winning more business for the company so again I'm familiar with MSLA text department
0: what are some of the other services and offerings uh, that Tez can do for you?
1: Yeah. So I look, you know, after so many years being in and around operations, I, I really felt like at some point, probably the relationship in parking is, is, is the customer, their phone and the location. And really that comes from the idea that, look, if I can buy a plane ticket with this thing, if i can get through an airport get through all the tsa protocol you know get my boarding pass literally board the plane get to my destination then maybe order my uber or my lyft and get to my 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 end destination there all on my phone and even when i'm at the hotel or whatever it is i'm still using my phone it it stands to reason that i should be able to enter a parking facility essentially and do the same thing and so You know why Tez? I mean, basically, Tez is a software developer. We've got you know cloud-based, really app-free. So this is the difference. There's no apps with Tez. It's it's all app-free solutions. Everything is white labeled. It's all mobile-enabled, and it's it's really about fueling amazing customer experiences in the the parking, mobility, hospitality, and sports and entertainment industries we basically digitize paper ticket processes we we work for parking operators and owners and we help automate their operations we 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 streamline them we offer kind of real time reporting we've got embedded enforcement tools and of course kind of a comprehensive digital audit trail that that really is is focused on the accountability of the business and it's an amazing labor management tool we've got a variety of platforms. People know us mostly as SMS valet today, but I think that's changing quickly. Text to Park is is our solution. That's an app free mobile payment solution, just like you would see with our friends that work for the app companies. A lot of great things about that solution. Uh, you know, using QR codes supports multiple languages. Just different things that are fantastic. There, we've also got something called Text for Service, which is what you might you know think it sounds like and that comes from Ken's background in the the restaurant and hospitality industry so that's being used at golf courses and stadiums and basically you you know create a digital menu and we've got something called text for bags which effectively digitizes what you'd see for a bellman operation we've also got target ad network which is a digital banner ad network and public messaging capacity and that's on our our various platforms. And we're coming to market uh, this year with a a platform for that we think is really going to revolutionize monthly parking administration uh, called Permit to Park. So is that a
0: monthly parking program?
1: It it is. And again, uh, ultimately, the phone is is your credential and it's a cloud-based solution. We're very excited about it and probably don't want to bore you with all the details now, but at some point I'll be reaching out to you and I'll say, hey, Isaiah, what do you think?
0: oh that's exciting yeah i I think you're right you know now you can even use your phone as your key card to open your door at the hotels you know it's, it's you're using it for everything, and it makes sense that you're using it for parking as well
1: yeah, that's right and i'm I'm learning you know it it is seamless every day when I come home from from the office i I find how easy it is to buy things uh <laughs> through your phone online i i'm I'm finding out I'm saving a ton of money every day.
0: Yeah, think to me, that's one thing I've, I've said on the podcast before, but with COVID, it, people all ages, races, demographics are now accustomed to ordering groceries on their phone, ordering dinner through an app. And I think it's really revolutionizing the, the parking and mobility industry, all industries for that matter. But I think you guys are positioned well uh, for this post-COVID world that we're living in.
1: Yeah. You know what I say that, that is true. And I mean, I'm obviously this, this COVID-19 thing is is just, it's devastating. I, you know, you worry about, you know, people's families and, and I just, gosh, do I hope this ends soon. It, it has had quite an impact on our business. Certainly on the ballet side, a lot of our clients, you know, their operations have been shut down. So we've put them on something called a temporary service hold and trying to be good partners there but it has absolutely opened up a lot of opportunities for us because you know we're all about contactless payments we've got these different platforms and you know we can speed up a round of golf if somebody orders from their cart and it's just kind of cool to be in that spot kind of the right place at the right time and and actually that 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 is sort of the premise which is hey it's better to be lucky than smart
0: love that yeah and i've seen it on linkedin too i started I only follow parking people, but I started seeing a lot of pictures of golfing, and and then I realized it was your text service. It makes total sense to to enter that market, and same philosophy, and especially with Ken's background, it just kind of a perfect marriage. Yep,
1: yeah, and having fun too, Isaiah, just like we had.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, do you remember my my interview? I remember it was like yesterday. There was a. Like black ice. There's a big ice storm which is really rare in in the southeast. But but you had already flown in, so you just said, Can you meet tomorrow like eight A. M. and I was about two hours away, so I woke up like at four and <laughs> it took me three hours driving on black ice, but I wanted to you know, I just felt you you call out for an important meeting like that, that that says a says a message. So I I still remember see cars drive off the road people people <laughs> crashing and I was going like 30 miles an hour but I made it and I'm so glad I did because I uh, got to meet you and ended up
1: landing the job I, I tell you what that that you know showing up to that meeting did a lot for you <laughs> that that was a big <laughs> a big initial test it was like okay so the city has basically said nobody is to be on the roads here you are on a three hour drive on black <laughs> ice to get to Atlanta. I think our meeting was at nine o'clock and, and you showed up. You're all dressed up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a nerve rock oh, That was, that was awesome. You were, uh, I was quite proud of you. You know, I said, wow, this kid, uh, this kid really wants this gig. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll sit down and have a serious chat with him.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I loved it. In fact, I had another note in here to ask you about this because, I remember you didn't ask me about my strengths and weaknesses. One thing you did ask was what I was passionate about. And I've, I've heard you've asked that to other people when you're, when you're doing interviews or meeting people. So talk about that. Why do you like to ask that about what people are passionate about?
1: Well, it, you know, it's, it's interesting because you can really tell a lot about a person when you find out what their, their passions are. What are their dreams? What do they want to do when they grow up, so to speak? And, I'm actually genuinely interested in, in, in hearing about people and, and, and what they are passionate about. I personally am, 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 very passionate about music. And so that means a lot to me and it, it drives me and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And so I asked you that question because I was genuinely curious. Okay. You've got this great resume. You've done great things in the industry. You know, look at, what are you passionate about? And then you started to go into something I would never have expected. And I think we spent three hours talking about our various passions and and the rest of it. I, you know, when you'd shown up there, you had already, you know, I guess you could call this a, a comparison for, for the very RFPs that we ended up pursuing together. You had already been qualified, so to speak. You had the credentials, people talked highly of you. You'd worked hard in the industry to establish relationships. I didn't know you. I knew of you. I did meet you that one time at FPTA, which was great. And then you had reached out to me and I look, I I learned so much about you that day. And I thought, wow, this guy is, (laughs) he's something else. He's, he, he understands he, you know, you, you, you're, you're writing scripts, you were doing all kinds of things. And of course I can relate that to my music experience, business experience when you're so passionate about something. And I continue to do it to this day. Well, I couldn't earn a living at it. I just admired that, you know, that's what you did. And that's what makes people tick. I think, I think, you know, we'd be foolish to just say, okay, what can this p- person do for me in business? Like, is that the whole value proposition or are, are we there to collaborate and learn from each other? And I, I, I just got a great, I don't know, sort of, I, I just got a great feeling from our discussion that that you were somebody that were, you know, you were open-minded, you, you, you were big on learning and you assured me that you would do a good job and that I didn't have any idea how well you would do. And I, you actually did prove that out. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, it was just a great team. I thought you and I compliment each other very well. I think, yeah, like you said, you already said you're an optimist. You had this uh, incandescent enthusiasm. You were just always glass full, which I need. I, I don't do well with people that are always down and, and cynical <laughs> and criticism. And you, you <laughs> well, definitely I, I- definitely got the best out of me. The other thing I like working for you, you don't micromanage. You 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 know You hired me as a professional and you... Gave me the freedom to to get the job done in the way that I saw fit and, and within my skill set.
1: No, I'm not, I'm not a micromanager. That's not my style. I'm more of a supportive collaborator. Um, I've I just feel I've I get better results that way, and I think people are empowered that way. And my goodness, you 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 really get to unleash a person's potential when you're not micromanaging them. And you're not looking for a robot, you're actually looking for somebody that's going to bring their own unique sensibilities to the job capacity. You know, once you've been hired, I mean, hey, you know, at that point, it's, it's time to give that person a real opportunity to shine. And I've, I've just consistently been very pleased with the outcomes by taking that. I, I also do, don't do well through fear and intimidation. If somebody throws that out to me, I, I I'm i I'm very standoffish. <laughs> I'm, I'm pragmatic, but nevertheless, that's, that's not a, a good environment
0: for me. Same. It's, it's, I don't get it. I don't know how people work in those environments with bosses that manage by fear. It's, I just feel I had probably my most successful two or three years of, of work and, and performance working with you just because I do well when, with positive energy, and you definitely <laughs> provide that. Okay. And I mentioned this early, but joking about your failure, but you did that panel at IPMI on failure. I had many people come up to me and just said, you know, wow, that was, that was great. You know, that you really touched a lot of people with that. And I know you kind of talked about that with maybe the music, the music dreams, not panning out, but again, music's still important. You still have that, but maybe you you felt like you you failed trying to get the band going early on in your days. But what, do you have any other other examples, to kind of, or stories you want to share, just about failure that you talked about the IPMI conference, that would be worthwhile to our listeners, and what you learned from that?
1: Specifically, maybe not, but I, there is nothing like getting dust kicked in your face. There is so much to learn from failure. It's it's you know you 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 think about boy, what could I have done better? What You know, or sometimes you look back and say, geez, I don't think I could have done anything better, but we still failed. And so the question is, Mm. how do you bounce back? How do you show up the next day? Or how do you show up the same day? Because basically you're out there and you're supporting teams and you 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 want to meet people's expectations. And I don't know, I think there's I think people go through the through life with this sense of entitlement that they that they should be winning everything. And that's just not practical. And, and so there's, there's something, again, very freeing about, you know, the world not owing you anything. And, and you think to yourself, well, what am I going to do with this loss? Or, or how am I going to, am I going to stay in bed, basically, in a fetal position and, and say, woe is me? Or, or am I going to come out of that thing and say, geez, you know, this is what I could have done differently. This is what we could have done better. And you know what? Hats off to the competitor. I mean, those those people were smart, <laughs> right? Those those folks were were great at what they do and you know, just just having the the realistic expectation that on on some days, even on your best day, you're going to get beat and you've got to celebrate other people's wins too because it's kind of obnoxious if you think you're just a not only entitled to win everything. I mean, that, that doesn't make you a a, a better a better service provider, or a, you know, or, or make your platforms any better. It, it you know, really, the best results come from looking internally to see where you can do better and the adjustments you can make along the way. So, I'm just a big believer in kind of dusting yourself off and teaching the younger folks in our industry and even outside of the industry that you know you shouldn't have this expectation that things are going to be handed to you and you're going to win you know everything is. sometimes winning isn't pretty i look if you are a cheerleader if you are an optimist if you're looking in const- you know for constructive outcomes you have to value failure
0: yeah no 100% agree i i think one of my strengths is i don't get embarrassed easily you know i've i've never been afraid to put myself out there maybe i'm out of my death or 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 what but i just felt the worst they could say it, is no, you know, or the worst right. I could do is it doesn't go well, but I learned from that. And we've talked about just different things where you, I got the wrong time on a mandatory pre and walked in an hour late and forget to sign a form on a proposal and you're disqualified. You, you know, you missed it. Di- yeah. There's so many things that oh happened in my career where you, like <laughs> you said, you get in the bed, sucking your thumb in the fetal position or you say, I don't like that feeling. <laughs> Oh, I'm going I... to work harder so that this doesn't happen again. I know the Michael Jordan uh, had the, the last dance uh, that came out or kind of a 10 parts series on, on the Chicago bulls and Michael yeah. Jordan in particular, the dude was just so driven by, I think oh. he was cut from his varsity when he was 15. He had was told he was too short. There's certain things that put a chip on his shoulder that made him work harder and harder, but he learned through, oh. through failing.
1: So um, I, I am comparing
0: uh, you to Michael Jordan, Steve. No, that's, obviously. That's what you should take right. out of
1: this. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, man. That, that's clearly overstating the the, the case. But I, I can no, remember-
0: I, Steve, seriously, though, the, you, are, you are the Michael Jordan, but unfortunately, we're playing baseball.
1: Uh, <laughs> hey, thanks. You, you really know how to build a guy's morale. Honestly, man, I remember in like second or third grade, you know there was this program at my elementary school and it was called MGM and that was an acronym for mentally gifted minors and they never even tested me man okay <laughs> and i'll never forget i was so perturbed by that you know i i do remember like poking my head in and looking through the window and looking at all those people in that class and i thought that's insane you know like how how did i not even get tested for this and <laughs> Anyway, you know, I wanted to win and and quite frankly, you know, I'm at the same time I I don't, you know, I, I want to learn from, you know, failure, I I I love to win. I absolutely love to win and I'll go to great lengths to win. And when I do win, I'm I'm very collegial and respectful and then, you know, the door closes and I dance an Irish jig. So, <laughs> you know, I love to win, but I also understand that, you know, losing is is part of the process too. And I, I value the, the, the lessons I've learned out there and it's, it's made me a better professional over the years.
0: Yeah. And it was contagious that your, your love for winning and you were able to instill that in the team and myself. And I think that's so good for a culture. I think you just, the team is winning when you celebrate your successes, when everyone's enjoying
1: winning. Yeah. Yeah. And, Isaiah, we 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 made a cottage industry out of recognizing people in the field that really, you know, sometimes I mean this is this is not you know our business historically. I mean, arguably, it's a business of complaints, right? And so, you when you can find those diamonds in the rough, and you you find people who are really contributing, and you want to give them an opportunity, and there's nothing more satisfying than going in with a team of folks. And letting people shine and, and do what they do best. And I, I'm I'm doing that at Tez and and there's a lot of people, you know, here that are much smarter than I am. And I'm I'm really enjoying that collaboration and in, in the same capacity that that we had that. And I, I believe that that can work. It doesn't matter what uniform you're wearing, if you bring that sense of kind of, you know, team spirit and, and everybody's here and you know, sometimes one person falls down in a presentation and then the other folks are there to pick that person up. And it's just a great process. Yeah. When I was hired,
0: our our good friend, Jack Skelton told me the parking industry is one where you could do 99 good things and no one will say anything. Then you make the one mistake, do one thing wrong and everyone wants to complain or talk about it. And there's yeah. a lot of truth to that in the field, but I think that's, I just kind of talking about what you talked about the cottage industry. That was one thing you and I said, no more, you know, we're going to, what's that solution? Say five positive things for every criticism you have. So we just made sure, recognize people in the field. A lot of these managers not making a lot of money, but they're out there working these long hours, these operations. And so we did our best to get them more money, get them, Happy and making right. sure they're not trading time for money, as you say. Th-
1: that's exactly it, man. You you hit it on the head just now. I mean, basically, you know, there are a lot of people out there not trading time for money. They're 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 contributing, and they're going to be, you know, they're leaders today in their own right, and they're going to be leaders of this industry going forward. And again, I've had the good fortune of working with some great leaders, you know, folks that wore a competitor's uniform for many many years. And just by getting to know them and being collegial and being a good sport and focused on client success, right? Not, you know, because at the end of the day, we're all out there trying to either keep stakeholders happy or clients happy or customers happy. And that's this industry. And so it, it can't always be about us.
0: Awesome. What about your music? I mean, what what is that heavy metal, classic rock? Is it what kind of music were you? when you were signed with Clyde Davis what kind of music were you into and
1: are you into it now oh gosh that was so you know back then you know the the it was sort of kind of a it was an alternative rock band with with a little bit more of 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 kind of some heaviness in it i i don't know quite how to describe it obviously it was not successful <laughs> but anyway I, I i have a love for all kinds of music so i i basically I can just remember as a kid, you know, my parents raised me on Aretha Franklin, Elton John, <laughs> John Denver, Jim Croce. I liked r and B. I I liked in high school, I liked the police. Just had a lot of different influences throughout my younger years. And I, I was, I, I believe it or not, I, I love disco too. I, I love to dance. So somehow i ended up as a bass player which made a lot of sense and um today i'm playing in a in a band called metal elvis which is <laughs> it's, it's it's everything from the you know from the 50s to uh through the metal years of of the 1980s and and everything in between that having a great time stevie wonder tom jones aerosmith zeppelin acdc you name it, and I've also done a, a handful of original projects in the past few years. Just finished another record called Rex Roller. Did a progressive record called Magellan's Ghost, and uh, so I'm I'm having more fun, frankly, in my fifties than I ever had in my twenties. Not even a question about it. And I'm I'm ten times better. <laughs> I'm a much better musician at this age than I was in my twenties.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I've it's on my bucket list to, to go to a Steve Resnick gig and, and hear you play. I've heard from people like Shalini Diaz. I think she's somehow heard you play. She said you guys are awesome. So I, I, I know we have some other people on the podcast in parking that play an instrument. Gary Means, Mark Lyons, a lot, a lot of folks out there. We got to start a parking podcast band and, and put you guys together.
1: Uh, it's so funny because Gary and I, I always send him, so I'm, I'm an absolute equipment junkie and so I send Gary pictures and I said, well, here you go, Gary. This is what I've been up to in lockdown. <laughs> he says, holy lord, what are you doing? <laughs> so, uh, no, he, he's a bass player and, and uh, actually Brian Scoggins plays bass too.
0: That's right, Brian as well. I got to get him on the podcast. One of my best friends in the That's industry. What right. about just knowing you? I know you've got a great relationship with, you, with your parents. I know they've your dad, very successful, a uh, lawyer. Your sister, what an executive at Disney. Maybe you, you're now chief revenue officer. But how were they uh, with the band, and were they supportive growing up with with your dreams and passions? What, what was it, what was that like for you?
1: You know, I, I gosh, Isaiah. You know, my my folks have been so supportive of me, even to this day. You know, I I talk to my folks every day when I told them that I wanted to go to music school and I wanted to leave college to do that, they, I, I cannot tell, they were not surprised by that. Right. Because I was just very passionate. I had taken over their garage in yeah. my teens and I was already kind of playing with people and loved that. And, you know, on any given weekend you you'd see me in my garage. My motorcycle was in a hundred different pieces. I, I was playing music and, so I just came to him. I said, "Look, I, I really I feel so strongly that I can be successful doing this." And and my parents were just kind of open minded folks. And they said, "Okay, you know, we'll we'll send you to music school." And funny enough, you know, here I am. I've got a, a daughter. She's seventeen. She'll be eighteen this month. She got accepted to FITM, uh, which is the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in in L.A. Which is a big deal. If if again, I
0: I know some of. <laughs> Listeners, myself included, are, are big on the fashion scene, but I did some research when you told me and I was blown away by some of the celebrities and different things that go on in, in that, that school. So congratulations to her and you, yeah.
1: Hey, yeah, no, it's, it's fun to be, you know, the shoes on the other foot now that, you know, she was never going to take the traditional route and she knew, I mean, she got accepted there. Actually, she was in 11th grade. She's kind of a prolific social media person as well. She's got about 90,000 TikTok followers and she's kind of a kidder. So, uh, you know, I'm hoping some way to monetize this, right? Because I don't want her on the, you know, my payroll for the rest of her life. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You know, yeah. and I think is- that was basically my parents' main goal. Get these kids off of our payroll. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they did a good job
0: at that. Even though your father went to the Ohio State University, I will, I will forgive that. <laughs> You know, being on Pacific Time Zone, there'd be times where I'd be talking to you at 11 a.m. It's 8 a.m. You're dropping your daughter off to school. I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but you always sometimes give some some positive mantras or some sayings. Uh, can you tell us some of those? Kind of what you do when you drop her off at school?
1: Well, you know, listen. I mean, it's it's probably all the cliched stuff you might think about, but I mean, those times where I, you know, when I was in town and I could drive my my daughter to school were were just really. Those were the times we connected the most. And I I just felt like, you know, I wanted to teach her to be a good person. I taught to her about human nature. I taught her about being humble and kind and being considerate, you know, showing up on time, you know, showing up with a great attitude. I mean, those are those are all the qualities in life that make for a successful, happy person. And to me, you know, I wasn't sending her to school with the idea that, okay, she has to be the valedictorian. I just, you know, my wife and I, we wanted to raise a good kid, a happy kid. You know, that, that was our goal. And so, yeah, I probably, you know, she probably couldn't stand it and she probably wanted to listen to the radio, but I would do, about 20, <laughs> I I'd do about 20 minutes of mantras every single day. It's like, hey, <laughs> do this, do this, do this. It's like, okay, dad. Okay. And, and, you know, I loved but, it. You know, my, my, my parents drilled that into me. My dad used to take me to, you know, a, a, a tutor before it was apropos. I mean, this was in the seventies and my dad used to drill stuff into my head and, you know, my mom would say, well, Hey, you could, you know, you can be anything you want to be. And I, I really think that that support and encouragement it influences you as an adult you know kids don't forget that kind of thing and so you know listen a lot of great parents doing exactly the same thing and you know there comes a point where you know you want to be supportive but you also don't want to you know just focus on participation trophies you want to focus on accountability and saying look you know there there are no warm hugs out there right this is not going to be easy and i frankly learned that lesson in my 20s it was like holy lord <laughs> i never in a million years expected this i've heard some of you're like a, a great hype man
0: i i do that with my kids i embarrass them i i a couple of them they, they say we know dad we know the answer but i'd say you know whatever grade they're in i'm a fifth grader of all the fifth graders in the whole world were in a big long line that stretched from charlotte to la And I can only pick one fifth grader to be mine. You know who I'd pick? And they'd say, me, dad. I'm like, yeah. And then I'd say, uh, every room you enter is better when you're in it. You know, so again, don't want to give out participation trophies, but go into that room thinking, how can I make this room better? How have the confidence and yeah, treat people with respect, be nice, be nice to the new kid, introduce, you know, just every morning it was something else kind of got annoying to them, but I love it. I learned that from you, so. And also can't talk about your family without talking about your greyhounds. And so some listeners may not know, but there's these greyhound racing dogs. And after they're done racing, I don't know, they just want to get rid of them. And and so there's some agencies out there that try to rescue them and and put them in homes. And so talk to us about your greyhounds.
1: Yeah, that's something, you know, my wife and I, I, well, probably around the time we decided, okay, we're going to get married. said, all right, let's, let's get a dog. And, and sure enough, I, I, I had grown up with sight hounds, a, a breed called whippets, and we considered different breeds and, and, you know, greyhounds were always a breed that I kind of was intrigued by. And we went and met some folks from, from a greyhound rescue organization and ended up amazingly in, in about three weeks time, we ended up with three greyhounds. Okay. So we went from no pets to having three greyhounds in like 1999, <laughs> it was it was quite an experience. Isaiah, all of a sudden, you know, you get a an 80 pound dog, and you know, times three, and we really didn't know how to manage the whole thing early on. I mean, these dogs were sleeping in our bed. It was just it was a, an absolute circus.
0: Do they have to be running? I mean, are they? depressed when they're not running or no? I mean, what's, what's that? Do you have to give them?
1: Yeah. So they, they actually, they, they call greyhounds a 40 mile an hour couch potatoes. So they get pretty excited, you know, when they, they get up in the morning and they have they have bursts of energy throughout the day. But most of the time, you know, you'll see them sitting somewhere on a dog bed or a couch kind of upside down in in what they call a roach position. They're fantastic, fantastic dogs. I mean, we have four now. We've had, I think we've rescued 15 or 16 greyhounds, you know, in the past 20 years. Wow. And, um, we take them from the track through these rescue organizations. One's called Grey Save. Another is called Hemopet. There's another one called Fast Friends, and that's out here. And they, they're, they're greyhound rescue organizations all over the country. And so it's just, it's just been so rewarding for us. And, you know, have kind of a big property where we are, and they, they go out in the backyard and they have a great time of it. That's all I can tell you.
0: Yeah, and I've seen pictures of them, beautiful dogs, and congrats to you all for adopting that mini. That's amazing. So, Steve, how can listeners learn more about Tez and get in contact with people at Tez?
1: Well, um, you know, we have several different websites, but they can go to Tez HQ, as in headquarters. So, TezHQ.com and uh, they can access those various websites through there, or they can reach out to me, Steve, at tezhq.com. Yeah, and I'll put that email in the show
0: notes. So, by the way, I've used Tez before. Many of our locations use Tez. They're great. The customer service is, I remember when they're first getting started, it wasn't uncommon to have Ken, the founder and the, the idea guy, on the phone with managers on a Friday night at 11, you know, just, Working through an issue, so the customer service is is great. They'll they'll treat you right. So check out that website for sure. So Steve, thank you so much for everything you've done in my career in my life. I really appreciate it. You mean a lot to me. Your family means a lot to me,
1: and uh, I really appreciate you joining the podcast. You're too kind, man. Thanks for for having me. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, look forward to a continued productive and and fun relationship with uh, with you and. Everybody I got to work with over there, and you know, until we meet again. Yeah. All right, see you, buddy.
0: To our listeners, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Parking Podcast. Please leave us a review and tell a friend about our show, it would mean a lot. This has been a production of Synchronicity Media, produced by me, Isaiah Mao. Our music and score is by Zona, our show art and design is by the talented Allison Gilly. You can follow us on social media at The Parking Podcast, or you can find our website with bonus content at ParkingCast.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in two weeks. Are you interested in your parking organization becoming APO, Accredited Parking Organization Certified through the International Parking and Mobility Institute? Or perhaps you're interested in one of your green garages becoming ParkSmart Certified through USGBC? Well, The Parking Podcast is here to help. Our Parking Accreditations Consultants Network will ensure you are matched with the best site reviewer or green garage assessor available for a fraction of the price. Learn more at parkingcast.com consulting. This episode is brought to you by the International Parking and Mobility Institute, publishers of the industry's only soup to nuts textbook about all things parking. It's called A Guide to Parking and several of our guests from previous episodes have contributed to this wonderful little textbook. Learn more and order your own copy at parking-mobility.org slash textbook.